skies call. They seduce us, pulling us irresistibly upwards, reminding us to fly our own line, on our wings, and in life. We are the seekers, adventurers, being one with the air, feeling everything and nothing at once. That's the magic we chase. Follow the call. Find your pure wild flight with NZ Aerosports. Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust. Like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot. The Crossfire 3, when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch. The JFX 2, if you're looking to up your new swoop game. The Leia, as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast. Or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy, specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top-of-the-line kick-ass stuff, as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com, and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. All right, all right, back in the can again. It is Zedge Emski here with the Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. And today I have with me Scott Callantine. So Scott, who are you and what the fuck do you do? If I wish I had the answer to that question, really, sometimes. But, uh, <laughs> well, so I think more, I kinda... more, what do you not do? Like, I mean, like, let's, let's preface that. 
I, I think I'm more of a jack of all trades, master of none type of person. So, but it's just more of a pure perseverance, I think, that kind of has gotten me where I am, especially in skydiving. A little bit of background I've been jumping for a little over 30 years. I've got close to 10,000 jumps. Most people, I think, right, re- recognize me or think about me primarily for wingsuiting. Uh, but what a lot of people don't realize is that before I even put a wingsuit on, uh, back in the early 2000s, I had close to 4,000 jumps already. So it was, it was kind of interesting because I was in that position where I was doing instructing and coaching and kind of getting burned out and wingsuiting kind of pulled me right back into skydiving and then kind of just continued the trend. So it's, it's been, it's been quite the ride. And uh, one that I think that skydiving is the sport that if you approach it the right way, it'll give back way more than you put into it. Gotcha. So, so you said 4,000 jumps before. I mean, yeah. And most people do know you for wingsuiting. Um, that being said, like those 4,000 jumps beforehand, what, what were you doing in those 4,000 jumps? Were you just working the sport? Were you just like, you know, belly anything I, or. I mean, I pretty much, I was a competitive four-way jumper. I had a, I was on a four-way team I was a competitive eight-way jumper. Um, never really outstanding at it. It was, it was fun. We had a, we had a great time, good averages, but it was one of the things that it was also mixed in with doing tandems, uh, instructing and coaching. It was, I've done crew. I kind of dabbled a lot of things and it's just, just kind of finding my way. It's the great thing about skydiving as I see it is there's always a different flavor. There's something you can do. And if you, if you don't like something, be, don't be afraid to try something else. Yeah, that's awesome. It, and it and it honestly ends up being one of those things. I I wouldn't change the the t- all the jumps I did before I I got into wingsuiting, uh, because I think I took something away from every single one of them, and it and it really kind of molded how uh, the direction and kind of clarified what I wanted to do going forward. And it and Scott Evan was I was really lucky that it afforded me the opportunity to kind of forge my own path and make a mark, or ho- hopefully make a mark. Hopefully, I think I think I think you were definitely making your mark on the sport. So, you know, well, I appreciate look, that. Look, you know, humble, but I got to give you credit where credit's due. You know. <laughs> okay. Um. All right. So what? What about you know? You had four thousand jumps, and then, I mean, wingsuiting was probably still relatively young at the point where you got into it. It was. It was. It was there, but yeah, definitely was young. Um. There was a lot of conf- there was a lot of confusion about. It. I mean, honestly, I was confused, but I just thought it looked awesome watching people do it. And it was one of those things I want to try that ended up doing a, doing a first jump course at a drop zone in uh, just North of Seattle, Washington, Snohomish um, out of a 182. And I, it was really, really interesting. Um, it, it, I would think that after that many jumps, it would still be jumping, but I felt like a first jump student. <laughs> it was on the step getting ready to go off and it was nervous. But as soon as, as soon as you kind of left, you could kind of, kind of felt it. And I think that's kind of that moment. And what really resonated for me is, again, outside of skydiving, uh, I'm also a pilot. And I started flying when I was, I uh, started flying gliders when I was 14 years old. I've always been interested in, in aviation stuff. And it just, the wingsuiting just sort of grabbed me because it kind of harkened back to that, that desire to fly. And it, and it just kind of, in, it could have really immersed me in the element. And that just, really resonated and just kind of pulled, pulled me into it. So. Uh, and how, how long ago was that? You think you, you know, like you started your, like, what, what, do you know, remember what year the, your first wingsuit jump was? Wingsuit Oh uh, four. I think I think it was Oh four, Oh three, Oh four, right around there. All right. And then it was with, uh, became... the, the, the suits were vastly different then. 
Uh, it was mostly uh, Phoenix Fly. The suits that the suits that we uh, were were flying back then, they they were tiny compared to the suits today. Uh, very narrow wings on the stance, and they were kind of a uh, little bit squirrely to fly. <laughs> a little they, they they were difficult to fly compared to the suits today. So it's kind of funny to have have been involved with, but also have watched the evolution of suits over time to where we are today. And I don't expect that evolution to change. Just like anything is. It's, it's, I think it's going to continue to improve and constantly uh, make things more enjoyable or allow people to do more things. So, great, man. So, what, what was your path? I mean, obviously, from, from where you were at that first, you know, wingsuit course and now where you're at now, let, let's talk about a little about your career in wingsuiting because okay. that, that's a big topic as, as well. Well, it's, I, it's, it, it's funny. I, my personality is, is one that's, um, I, I'm, I, I consider myself fairly driven. And uh, once I kind of got in, in, into wingsuit, and I did a lot of solos, just like everybody does. It was, uh, I was at a 182 drop zone mostly. Um, did stuff at turbine drop zones, but I was working at the time at primarily at a, at a small drop zone that doesn't exist anymore called Blue Sky Skydiving out in uh, Shelton, Washington. Uh, they had a 182. And so I would just fill, fill the slots and do it, do what I could. Then I started hearing about these different events that were going on. And then I started going to the events. Um, and instead of just kind of being the wallflower, I would stand around the organizers. I'd kind of listen in on things and try to interject myself and try to pick up as much knowledge as I can, uh, which you get noticed doing that, which then allowed me to start doing more things. Uh, and uh, like Ed Pulaski was one of the, one of, I would call him one of my mentors. I uh, learned a lot from him. He has a, a wingsuit school and lives down and jumps at Lodi. Uh, very thankful for him being, for being a friend and for what he did. Uh, but it also introduced me to a number of other avenues. And even in, even in wingsuiting, it's, it was whether you do formation, whether you want to do uh, competition. Uh, if you just want to go what I call flippy floppy, go around and just have fun and just <laughs> dance around the air, if you will. And, and all on all aspects of her fun. And I've tried to dabble and, and do stuff in all of them. And it, 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 it doesn't cease to ever bore me, I guess. Uh, even, even if I'm, even if I'm flying on a big formation or a small formation as base, I, I, I find a challenge in that to what I can bring to the formation. I think the old saying is you don't have formation if you don't have a base. Uh, type of thing. And I, and I think, I think it's true in wingsuiting just as much as it is in uh, every other uh, discipline of skydiving. And so it's just, I, I think it's the drive that I have is to find the challenge in whatever jump that I'm doing at the time. And it's, it's not a challenge to necessarily beat somebody. It, it's to do the best that I can do. Uh, Cause I think that's where I find the most satisfaction is competition. I love it. I enjoy it. I like winning. <laughs> of course, who doesn't? But, but at the same time, I get a, a high level of satisfaction if I'm if I'm coaching and somebody somebody uh, tells me after the fact they really feel like they learned a lot. That means as much to me as um, as uh, standing on the podium at nationals back in 2015 or having the opportunity to, to represent the U.S. At, at at a number of world world events and even standing on the podium for the U.S. at, at a world event. Um, those those are priceless experiences. But I don't want them to define what drives me because I, I think there's so many other avenues that you can find satisfaction with. And, and I wouldn't say growth, but challenge. 
Yeah, it reminds me like back. To I don't know if that answers the question, but oh, uh, again, I, it, I'm, it goes back to you being super humble. You, you're kind of like, yeah, I've been on the podium once or twice back, you know, but you know, it, I, it, I, it, again, I, I, I'm very fortunate what I've been able to do. And, and I, I do believe that if I can do it, people can do it. You just have to set your mind yeah. to it. And so I guess being humble on that is, is not, it's part and part of the fact that I don't want somebody to feel that they can't do something. They look at me and they say, well, he did it. Oh, I can't do that. Well, I want to encourage them to do it. Yeah. And so for me, if they're going to look to me for what I've been fortunate enough to accomplish, I don't want to be a, a hindrance to them by saying, oh yeah, yeah, you can't do that. And I want to encourage them. And, and the, the level that they achieve is, is it maybe higher than my level? I mean, one of the funniest things or one of the things that I laugh about, uh, I think of many, many people that are listening to know Katie Hansen. Uh, I taught her first jump course. So, oh. <laughs> I mean, I, I love Katie and Matt. I, I, I need to get Katie onto this podcast. That, that's, oh, a, she's, she's that's a great call. Yeah. And, uh, and the, the thing about that is, is like, she was just, she told her dad came and did a, did a, a static line jump for right, right when she was graduated from high school out in Washington. And then now to look at her being, uh, standing on the podium, getting world medals and stuff. She's surpassed so much. And it just, it, it makes me feel like I had a little, little part in that from coaching her when she was starting and doing her first, her first, uh, her first jump course. And so things like that are what give me satisfaction. Uh, but if somebody, I, I'm able to uh, touch base with, and all of a sudden they've never competed, but then they go to a competition and they walk away feeling good about it. That's a huge success for them. And to me, that's almost as important as the, the other side of the coin using Katie as an example. So I, 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 I think everybody should be afforded the opportunity to uh, achieve the greatness within them to the level that, that they can achieve. Yeah. This really reminds me of a conversation that we interviewed uh Greg Windmiller a couple of months back right after worlds or the Vondile. And he, you know, he was like, you know, people always say, you know, you know, you're coaching the people who are competing against. And he's like, yeah, I want them to beat me. I want to teach them how to be able to beat Absolutely. me. You know, and, and it's, a, it, I, I kind of find that a lot of people at you know your level, Greg's level, they, they take a lot of pride in not just being on the podium, but also training the next generation to beat them and break their records. Well, that's what records are. That I mean, I firmly believe that records are meant to be broken. I, I mean, it's it's not one of the things that you got two choices. If, if you have a record, you have two choices. Once it's broken, you you can pout about it, and be mad that you got broken, or or be super happy for the person, and then motivate yourself to try to take the record back of you. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, everything is is moving forward, and and I think we're all should, we should all strive to push things forward. So. I, I love that comment uh, because there's, there's no future if you don't train uh, the people that are coming up. Yeah. And, right. and most of those people that are coming up are the ones that I'll use on uh, either a state record, a national record or a world record in, in, in X amount of time in the future. But because the pool, all, the pool is always changing. So as I think when you realize that the top level is fed from the bottom level constantly, because people are always going off the, at the end and stopping jumping or changing. Uh, it kind of opens that door to, to kind of realize that uh, no matter what level they're at, 
encouragement and, and pushing them to be their best is honestly, it benefits you as well for the goals and the future goals that I have, because I can't do them without the people that I'm teaching now. So. That totally makes sense. All right. So pivoting a little bit. So we've talked about, you know, you, you've worked in the sport, you've obviously competed at every level possible. Um, but on top of that, you also have a pretty active role in kind of like the governance side, right? Well, on the government side, on, on from the from the world level, for example, um, I'm an, I was I was started off as a, a, a national judge for wingsuiting. Um, I was, and then that that allowed me then to the position I am now, where I'm on the wingsuit committee for uh, ISC International Skydiving Commission, uh, and it's a group of us that help write the rules. So, yeah, I am involved with that. I'm also an FAI rated uh, international judge. Uh, it's allowed me to do to judge like the most recent Mondial on Russia. Um, I was chief judge at Nationals most recently. I was also named for chief judge for the Nationals during the COVID year that was canceled at Z Hills. Um, and and I don't take lightly uh, the influence that 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 I've been afforded. And I really do want to make sure that uh, the direction that I push or or what I fight for. Are things that are going to benefit things going forward yeah on that note because some of our listeners may not be familiar with the way that you know fai fits into uspa into isc if you could kind of maybe expand on that a little bit yeah so i mean if you if you think about uspa just just in the united states you have you have regions and then that feeds up into the next level which is going to be uh the national or the usba now you can take the same thing uh, there's something called, you have the FAI, which is the highest level. It's a government body that covers all aerosports, including gliding, ballooning, parachuting, any uh, model flying. I mean, there's all kinds of different avenues. Um, so then you take a step down, just like in the USPA, you have national and you go to regions. Now you go down to continentals, uh, which is there's uh, the continents are broken up, North America, South America, uh, Asia, Europe, Africa. Uh, and then you take another step down to NACS, uh, that's the national aero groups, and they represent uh, individual countries. So like the United States goes to uh, the NAA, which is RNAC. And then also in the NAA would be like the gliding community and other aviation communities. So it's kind of a hierarchy that all kind of funnels upward into the FAI up at, up at the top. So the USPA is the controlling or regulatory suggesting body for parachuting, but there are other organizations very similar to USPA that, that do regulatory in other sports that go to the NAC, which then goes to the FAI. Gotcha. All right. So in, it's like a pyramid well, scheme. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> pyramid scheme, political, bureaucratic, I'm sure. No, it's it, it's it's just like any anything. You get uh, like it's funny going to the one of the uh, the skydiving uh, international skydiving commission or the the skydiving meeting in Moscow in the beginning of 2020. It was funny to see just like politics you'd expect anywhere. Um, people who have been jumping for 30, 40 years, they have their opinions, and you could see these little battles that would take place in the in the plenary when they were uh, having discussions about different things. So politics is politics. It doesn't matter <laughs> if you're in, if you're in Washington D.C. or if you're at uh, at at any level. It's it's just kind of fun to watch. So it's it's always just trying to find your way to navigate through that, and it, it's it's fun to be a part of. 
Uh, so, I mean, random question that just popped in my head, reflecting on the conversation the other day. So, <laughs> so, I mean, with all this involvement you've had and like the range of experiences you had and the amount of knowledge that you, that you possess, uh, how, have you ever run for USPA? No, never have. Why not? Any, no interest or, I mean. Uh, it's, it's, it never, it's, I mean, I, I think I kind of look at, I think you and I had a conversation a long time ago uh, where I, I was afforded a position that went to an international level and I, and I kind of took a top down approach uh, where I kind of am at a position where I could feel I can make an influence trickling down. Um, but I've, I have thought about it, but the time hasn't been right. And I feel like I'd still have things that I can accomplish uh, in, in, the, in what I'm being afforded to do right now. Uh, it doesn't mean that next year or five years or whatever the time timeline is that I, that I wouldn't be interested in doing that. And, and, but I don't know if what that role would be, if I would try to go for regional or if I would try to go for a national director or something like that. I, d- I don't have that answer. But yes, there's an interest, but it's, it's not the right time for me right now in, in what I'm doing. Yeah, that's a great answer, man. I mean, and, I, and I've asked that question to other people and I don't, I don't, I think that very few people have, have it as well thought out as you do. I mean, <laughs> which, which is great, you know? Um, well, maybe that's the analytical side. A lot of people don't realize that uh, outside of skydiving, I have a, I have a graduate degree in uh, molecular biology, biochemistry, and I was a research scientist for a number of years Nerd. In, my, in, in, in a whole, yeah, exactly. I, I, but I can't bake. I can't follow a recipe for shit. So it's shocking that I was able to do science. I mean, go figure that. Yeah, we're, we're recording this uh, a couple of days before Thanksgiving. And before we start, I was telling, uh, like, I'm, I need to cook for tomorrow and I'm making mashed potatoes. I'm scared I'm going to screw that up. So I, I completely feel you on not being able to follow recipes. I can make well, I mean, cocktails. I, I, yeah, I can cook, but baking, that's a, that's a whole science I don't understand. So I, I, I'll skip that. <laughs> All right. So um, next, you just got you, you. I think we were talking earlier. You said that you just got back from South Africa or uh, uh, Russia, R- Russia. So what is what is the, like, the big differences that you see between how like, you know, stuff is happening in the U.S. versus the international community um, specific, obviously, to wing suiting? What kind of differences are you seeing? It, it, it's it's. I mean, we're doing the same things. Uh, I, what I notice uh, mostly is, is different approaches. And I think it, it comes down to cultural differences. Uh, like if, if uh, where if, a, if, a, like if a country is very amenable, everybody is, is very, very pleasant and, and giving. Uh, the, the, the way that I see them act is they're much, much nicer. Whereas if like uh, Russians, for example, they have, they have kind of that gruff, rough exterior and that's kind of their nature and they they a little bit combat combative and i don't mean that in a bad way at all it's just sort of a cultural thing and i can see how they kind of approach organizing and kind of how their attitude towards how they fly it it kind of reflects kind of the their societal evolution and and kind of what they know and i to me that's the biggest thing that stands out is is really it's how you see them interact with each other uh just like they look at i'm sure anybody from any other country looks at people in the u.s how they react to one one another it it really is based on your own experiences and i i don't think you're able to take that out of the equation 
uh, very, very, without really a strong conscious effort. Um, and it's fun for me when I'm afforded the opportunities, like to, to go to Tanai for the Mondial where I was able to, I was on the judging panel this year, um, or to have interactions uh, with, uh, I was fortunate, I was able to uh, be one of the judges for the South American Continental Wingsuit Formation Record. Uh, we, I was one of the remote judges. But it still means I'm still having interactions with the organizers and things like that. And it's just it's just fun to get the dynamic because I might look at something different than they do. But at the same time, it's fun because if I think about how they're looking at it, if I really, really am open minded about which I try to be, I try to see what they're doing to see if it's something that I can pull in to some of the stuff that I'm doing. Uh, because it's just I think the more knowledge that you get, the more that you can absorb the more effective and the better you're going to be at whatever, whatever you're trying to do. Um, it doesn't happen all the time. I'm sure I'm getting guilty of it just like other people are, are guilty of not, not doing it, but that's kind of the fun and the challenge. But I guess that's a long winded way to say how you grew up is how you act. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, man. Um, okay. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a great answer. Can you think of any examples like stuff that you've seen, in other nations or in, in you know different continents that have made you like kind of like all right that's that's a different way of doing it why don't we do it that way or or the opposite well i mean i've i've i, I can think of it like an example was uh, how people uh like if we're doing a multi-plane formation uh sometimes a, philo- a philosophy uh, over in europe may have the base coming out of a different airplane or they they want to have the base person outside whereas my philosophy is i want i want the base person to be as close to the middle as possible sort of like i have floaters and then the core and then the divers uh both work it's it's just it's just interesting to see how how they apply it um and i know that i started off kind of in that kind of that similar everybody kind of did it the same way in the beginning oh oh seven oh eight oh nine we're doing world records in uh in Elsinore, uh, 08, 09, um, everybody was kind of doing the same style. Uh, and then what kind of evolved from that is I kind of started thinking about it and then I made adjustments to how I organize. And then I saw other people make adjustments to how they organize. Um, and even to the point where even on East Coast, West Coast, we used to call something, do you do, you, do, you do East Coast exit style or do you do West Coast exit style? Uh, it's, it's where you have either the rear person inside or the front person go first. <laughs> and it's, and of course, I'm right because I thought my way out and it worked great. <laughs> but shockingly, their way works too sometimes. So, <laughs> but yeah, so there are definitely differences. And I, I again, it goes back to what I said before is if you take a critical eye and you look at what the ideas that somebody has and you, and you put it through paces, that's ultimately where growth happens and evolution takes place that pushes things forward. Because if thing, if nobody comes up with something new, it doesn't evolve; it becomes stagnant. Yeah. Right, uh, Ram, you brought you brought up that you were out in uh, in Siberia to Tanai. Um, were you there competing, or were you just there in official capacity? I was there as a judge. Okay, I was I was I was there for I was there as as a judge. I actually I had the opportunity. I was on a team to compete, um, and that there were some things going on that I wasn't, didn't feel that I could get training in. And it, and I was really lucky that I had the opportunity to be able to go 
towards uh, the judging side. And quite honestly, as long as I've been doing it, my goals are to move more to that judging side and being more involved with that internationally. And so it was, it was actually a really kind of a nice opportunity to kind of force me to get, get rid of that. I'm going to go compete to this is the direction that I want to go because I've, I've said that for a while now, but that doesn't mean when I wasn't there, I wasn't looking at numbers going, <laughs> I, I, I'd still be doing all right. <laughs> like that mean I was going to win. I wouldn't have done that at all, but I, I would have, I, you get a little of that foe. I would have done all right. So. That's, yeah, I mean, I have faith that you would have, but it, it, it has to like, you know, that, that, that is an aspect of it. You, you. It must be a, a little bit rough, like looking at everybody going up on lows and you're like, I, I kind of wish I was up there as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but it, and, and at the same time, people are putting an immense amount of work in and they're, and, and they're pushing forward. They're looking at people like me. They're looking at people like uh, Alexi or Chris Geller or Dimitri over in Europe or these people that are just killing it. And they're putting all this effort into it. And those are the standards right now. And with the things that I'm doing, I don't have the time to commit to that level now. And I realize that. And I want to be able to, what I think is do the best thing is I can still give back. I can still be very, very much involved, but I also can open the door for the next generation to come up. I mean, I've been, I mean, my first competition was, in 07, the U.S. Performance Cup or something like that. Uh, so I've been doing this a long time. And it's I, I'm not tired of it. I love it. But it's time. It's time for me to yeah. take a step back yeah. a little bit. And, totally makes and sense. It, that's, a re, that's a really, really hard decision to make. But I, I do feel it's the right one. Because I feel just from what I've been able to do since then on the judging side, I'm getting a huge amount of satisfaction. And I feel like I'm making a positive impact in a different way and and i like i said i think i i think that realization kind of when i got over the hump it's equally as rewarding albeit in a slightly different way to to competing so doesn't mean i still won't go up to a competition and try to jump now and then (laughs) but just because that's 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 the nature that i have but what i'm doing now i don't i miss it but i don't miss it because there's something else there that challenges me that I feel like I can make an impact and, and walk away from and feel like I did the right thing. Cool. I mean, it's two sides of the, the same coin, ultimately, you know, and on that note, can you think of any favorite memories that you had from the one side of the coin as a competitor versus now that you're kind of moving over into the, the judging side, like any particular like competition on one hand that stands out and on the other hand, some that really you just remember, like, I, I loved this moment on, on, the, on, the, on the judging side of the coin. Well, I mean, like the, on the competition side of things, one of the things that I, I can never, that can never be taken away is uh, the, the dreaded skydiving word first. Uh, and the win wingsuit became officially recognized by FAI and we had the first World Cup in 2015 in Netherhaven in England. Uh, we didn't, we weren't doing it at nationals and the team was hand selected and I was one of the people that was selected to be on the team. And just the ability to, for the first time, get a patch, uh, wear team uniform and be in a foreign country and represent the, uh, the United States. It's, that's, the, that's kind of the overall big part of the competition that really, that really stands out to me. Um, and then I think back on 
from small competitions to big ones, I think of individual jumps, little things that kind of make me laugh. Um, I remember, uh, I don't know how everybody knows about performance competition. It's a series of nine jumps and there's three parameters that are measured. One parameter is measured each jump. You do three jumps for time. You do three jumps for distance. You do three jumps for speed. The time one is how long can you stay between in the air between what is now the rules are 2,500 and 1,500 meters, about 3,300 feet. Uh, uh, distance is how far can you go in, in that time, in that window. And then speed is how fast horizontally can you average through that window. I remember doing a speed run where going, I, I was about, I think it was about 275 kilometers an hour, 265, something like that. And I started wobbling. <laughs> and then it was like, I, 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 I can't stop. And I ended up doing this barrel roll in the middle of it, just watching my target that I was, I was, I was going at. And I, and I got through it. And then at, at the bottom end, I was like, I can't believe I didn't blow up. <laughs> it was one of those, it just surprises me. And this was at the same competition where other people would get the same thing. It's, it's, it's an aerodynamic thing. If you get too steep, you get too much air going one way and then you lose stability and you go, basically you cork. If you want to use a, a kind of a, a free flying term and you just start. Bleh. And it was, I just laugh about that one because it was like in the middle of that moment, it was like, everything was so clear. It's like, I don't want this to happen. I don't want this to happen. Some of the other jumps I don't remember, but ones like that are ones that, 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 that really stand out. Um, I remember another one. I was really lucky that uh, at a competition in, 10 10 or 11 some it was the u.s performance cup in uh elsinore where i was the first person that had a recorded glide ratio of over four to one i went over four thousand uh meters horizontally for the thousand meters that we were measured going uh vertically that jump stands out to me as well as as one of those kind of those milestone jumps because the the four the four the four to one glide ratio at the time was like the four minute mile it was that imaginary barrier <laughs> that's that exactly what I was just really, thinking really hard to beat and and it and it stood it stood for a while and uh, I remember Tony Oregalo he uh, beat my record he was the next person to, to to beat it and he called me up he goes hey I beat your record and I was like oh that's great that's great and my record had stood for about a year and then two weeks after Tony did it somebody beat him. And so I got to call Tony back and said, hey, your record didn't last too long ago, Tony. <laughs> he didn't like that. He, well, he, he did. It, it was, it's, it's, it's fun because ultimately, and I guess this is the biggest change that, that I, I think about. I don't know why it just popped into my head. Back in the early 2000s, wingsuiting was this really, really tight-knit group. And everybody was kind of going the same direction. And then just like everything happens, it starts to splinter a little bit. People get different ideas. And it's not like they're for each other, but everybody wants to make their own mark and move forward. Um, and it's it's been really interesting for me to watch that evolution, uh, where I've really, really tried hard to continue as opposed to put myself in a maybe in a in a dead end position or a dead end direction. Um, and what I'm seeing now is everybody has different ideas, but ultimately. The core of it is that I see people also coming back together and, and for, for a certain goal, and then they'll split up and then go their own directions again. Um, 
it's and I and I think you've I think we could probably say we've seen it in almost every discipline sort of like the the, the cyclical nature of it but I I'm pretty cognizant of the fact that um I've been able to kind of witness that evolution and the same thing kind of I can then apply it to competitions everybody was super helpful and everybody wanted to help each other at competitions and uh, like four years into competitions people were hiding their numbers they didn't want everybody to see what was going on and then now there's still that and there's people trying to help each other it's it's just it's just kind of fun to watch and be involved in to be honest so I don't know this is a rambling conversation so (laughs) it's just uh, that's what we love man that's that's why we do this podcast the way we do we we want that kind of I love the fact that you have so many crazy, awesome stories and you've seen so much. So having you communicate that to, to me is just fantastic. Um, so what about on the, on the judging side? Because obviously you said that's your new, you know, new direction you're heading into. More more. I'm really getting a lot of satisfaction. I'm really enjoying it. And and what's fun for me and I one of the things that I, I enjoy is uh, like when it, it's interesting because before I'm kind of the first I, uh, known competitor that's on the judging side of things. Uh, now, whereas before, when everything sort of came to fruition, they were pulling judges in who didn't really have that much wingsuit experience. And there, and there was kind of a learning curve that happened with that. Uh, and then now that people are seeing me doing more judging, it's interesting um, the, the, the questions that I'm getting. People are actually coming up to me and asking me questions, uh, knowing that I'm looking at it from a competitor side uh, versus look, trying to apply a thought of... Uh, formation skydiving or, or another discipline and then how we judge it. Um, one of the things that was, that came out of the, the world meet, for example, was we were sitting in the judging room and some of the judges have wingsuit experience. Some have been doing a long time, but they don't wingsuit and dynamic flying is becoming just so amazing. I uh, like carving head down back flying, this kind of stuff. And they, the top teams as rightly as they should, they make it look so effortless. But it looks so effortless to the detriment of the difficulty. <laughs> and so it's not recognized as, wow, that was really, really difficult. Um, and so I was asked, and again, one of, those, one of those moments that I feel fortunate to be able to do is they say, well, what's difficult, what's not? And so it's like, so we kind of did like a little mini seminar. Well, if this happens, well, this is really, really hard. Even though it looks easy, it's really, really difficult. And so what we're, that kind of came from that is, is looking from international training. I'm starting to get a little more involved in that. And one of the, one of the things that I'm hoping to be able to put out is kind of like a guidebook or a a video that kind of helps judges know difficulty from easy maneuvers to really, really hard maneuvers. And what I really think that'll do is that'll help push teams because when a team does an incredibly difficult maneuver, but they make it look easy, they might not get the, re- the recognition that they need. And I think that's one of the evolutional, one of the steps in evolution that judges need to take and, and, and that kind of stuff. So you ask what drives me in judging. It's just like what drove me on wingsuits to push forward is I'm finding, I feel like I'm finding ways to push judging forward for the betterment of it. So it's kind of the same thing, just in a, in a, in a different, in a different, Fill in judge instead of jump. No, that's. I mean, I didn't realize that. I mean, a lot of satisfaction. 
I've always thought about it's probably like, you know, kind of like competitive diving where, you know, this maneuver is this on a difficulty scale. And if you nail it perfectly, you get that many points for it, et cetera. You know, I I didn't realize that that's still kind of evolving in the sport. Well, I, I, I don't, I think it's constantly evolving. I mean, if you look at, if you look at DFS, the judging and everything has changed for that because teams are going faster. Uh, And then you're looking at different, you're looking at different dimensions. You have to, the maneuvers aren't just, on your belly, uh, point, inner point, you have to do this. You can't cross center points on, on FS. There's the same stuff, but now you got a third dimension to it with BFS and the speed, which is amazing. The teams are going, the judging has to, has to evolve and keep up with it. And again, it can go so quick that judges can miss it unless they understand it more and more and, and keep pushing themselves. Uh, so I, I think there's a competitive aspect uh, that judging carries as well. And, and it's done out of respect of the, the, the sport because you don't, you don't do the judging because of the big bucks. No, <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not what it's for. You do it because you love it. You do it because it's a passion. Uh, I mean, for the amount of time that I've been jumping, I've been jumping more than well, more than half my life. Um, and I mean, I, I, I joke, I still need a couple thousand more jumps to really see if I want to stick in the sport. I'm not sure. Just, <laughs> I, I'm still, still dabbling, trying to, trying to find my way. Um, but when you get to a certain level and you put that level of commitment in, it's because you love it. And I think ultimately that's what drives the sport forward. All right. So ch- changing gears a little bit. So I know we, we talked a little bit about, you know, your progression from belly to wingsuit. Now you're kind of getting into the, well, not now you've been getting into the judging deeper and deeper, and you're definitely up there in that world. Um, and I know that you just made another big change. So let, let's talk about what you're doing now. You're down in Florida right now, right now doing this interview. And there's a reason right for it. Yeah, there's a reason for it. It's, it's, it's one of the things that I was afforded the opportunity that I'm, um, I'm taking over Tony suits now. And it's the interesting thing about that is a lot of people think about it and they're just like, Oh, you're doing for the wingsuits. No, I'm, it, it's, I'm looking at it as a business opportunity to try to try to move the company forward. And I'm pushing all different, all, all the different areas of the company. Um, I think there was uh, a lot of speculation, especially with COVID and people not sure what's going on. Um, and it, as we're coming out of, kind of COVID and people are coming out of the, out of their caves and people want to be social. People want to do stuff. It just felt like the right time. Um, and to me, it's another challenge. It, it's something that, uh, something that I believe in, I want to be involved with. I mean, it's like, again, I guess I joke that it's, uh, if I, I don't know if I want to keep in the sport in this case, I guess, I'm not sure if I want to keep in the sports, I might as well take over a company and have to retire with the sport. So it's, <laughs> But no, it's 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 known. It, but we haven't it, the, an official announcement hasn't been. We haven't put anything up as an f- official press release because we're uh, trying to get some stuff set up. Uh, have some new products that we're going to be coming out with that I've been working on, and it's just really really exciting times. So, um, it, it's kind of it's kind of the worst kept secret right now in <laughs> in skydiving. I have I talked to somebody last night and he was like, oh, so things are going on. Uh, can we talk about that? I go. It's known. It's just not kind of like blatantly put out in everybody's faces yet. So, but no, it's, it's super, super exciting, really, really challenging. And 
again, kind of fits in, fits along the lines of what we talked about earlier, what made me push in competition, what made me push in judging. This is just another aspect of it. And I, and it's taking kind of my other world and letting me try to do what I used to do, what I'm doing and used to do in, in, in the real world, in the skydiving world. So I, I'm, again, I feel very fortunate to have the opportunity. That's amazing, man. Yeah. I mean, and I think I, like you said, like, I think the rumor has been out there <laughs> and it's just, kinda, it's, it's the worst, it's the worst kept secret. I think that's out there. And everybody's like, Shh, I can't say anything. I don't know if I can say anything. <laughs> yeah. For the record, everybody, I did check with Scott, whether or not I was allowed to bring that up before I brought well, it up. I would just, hung, I, I just would have hung up if you, <laughs> Oh, I keep waiting for you to do that in general, you know? <laughs> No, congratulations, man. That is amazing. You know, especially now that you told me that story about, you know, you setting the record for, uh, for glide ratio with, and your, your background with Tony way back in the day with that. So. Oh yeah. Tony and I go way back. He's, he's a, he's a very good friend. I mean, he's, he's truly a mad scientist. I mean, there's a reason that he's in the skydiving hall of fame. Uh, he, he deserves it. He made a huge, huge impact on the sport. I mean, Tony suits is a company that, that basically he made his first suit over 40 years ago when he was, when he was uh, living in England. And since then, I think it's safe to say if on, on, on the front page of the website, it's 40, 40 plus years of innovation. And I'm, my challenge is to see if I can still continue to push that innovation and, and uh, try to live up to what, what he was able to uh, develop and build. So. I mean, I'm not going to ask for any trade secrets or anything else, but can you, can you kind of, point us in any direction about what might be coming or anything like that or is it completely hush hush still well there's um so there's there's a new there's a i'm working on some things can't can't really bring it out but if i if i bring this up right here uh this <laughs> is tony suits uh, i'm i one of the things i've one of the things i've developed is a signature series it's good it'll be a collaboration for different organizations with tony suits um just a little teaser a little <laughs> Yeah, signature series. Yeah, we're, we're on video right now, and he just pulled pulling up his T-shirt, being like Tony Suit signature series. And, and, and uh, to be honest, that this uh, that that embroidery was actually just finished last night, and this was embroidered today. So yeah, that's it, it can't get any fresher than that. So. Hell yeah, man! Hell but yeah, yeah, so look look for some stuff on that. It'll it'll be popping up online soon, um, and hopefully it'll it'll be something that that makes a little bit of a splash there are other projects that we're working on as well uh some stuff for uh demo stuff um i think there was a picture that was posted doug Barron, uh rhythm was uh was in the office the other day and and the great thing about the athletes that tony suit sponsors is the feedback that they get and it's i kind of call it the the innovation emporium and it's he's giving us feedback we're bouncing ideas off and uh we're going to prototype we'll try to build some prototype stuff and try to meet what their needs are. And again, that goes back to, you have a passion for it and you push the sport forward and you, and you want to have that evolution. That's where, that's where the magic or that's where the secret sauce is, is you, is you surround yourself or you get involved with the people that are pushing that same direction. And that's, what's really, really fun. So. Again, obviously Tony Seuss is more than wing suits, but your background and that your knowledge of the competitors and those connections are also probably gonna be fantastic because you definitely have, you know, the year of people who are like, okay, this is what we need out there right now. Well, it's 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 interesting. Um, because I've had like I was having a conversation with, with Doug, and after after he left after that conversation, one of the seamstresses, Lisa, she does a fantastic job. She was like, 
Oh, I didn't know about that. It's like there, there's like a little bit of a disconnect sometimes. Uh, they're just uh, people don't understand the nuances of a particular discipline. And by no means am I an expert in some of these, but I, I understand the language and I understand what we're talking about. And it, it's fun to have those conversations. And, and that's what I, I enjoy a lot. And the more I can bring those ideas together and help bring it forward, that's honestly where traction is really can be made and differences can be made. So. Oh yeah, man. All right. So uh, one last topic that I definitely, because you and I have had so many conversations whether or not a couple of beers were involved or not about the direction. Of I, don't sky. I don't drink. I don't drink. Yeah. I nor do I, this is definitely is not a tumbler <laughs> of, uh, of whiskey in my hand. Uh, but, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about the direction of the sport. Um, mm-hmm. What's happening with skydiving. What's happening with USPA. Obviously we just had the, the big election for, for the boards. Um, and obviously the, the, the most recent meeting. So, what are a couple of ways that you th- you've seen skydiving changing? Any like directions that you want to see evolving a little more? Any changes that you want to see? Both whether it's kind of in the community, whether it's something specific in the IRM, the SIM, the governance manual, anything along those lines. All open. I you know it, it, it the one of the things that from the thirty years ago to now the the biggest sport the biggest change that I've seen is little bit of kind of an attitude shift and it's by no means anywhere close to being done and that it's an attitude shift towards uh both women and minorities and and i think the more inclusion and the more the more opportunity that that is afforded uh versus kind of the old stereotypical sky goddish uh oh there's a girl in a drop zone everybody's gonna go let her get her on a load or or what, whatever it is, the more barriers are broken like that for organizations like CIS or, or other organizations that are, or like TSK, which is all about inclusivity and positivity. Um, things like that, I see becoming more, more talked about instead of, instead of pushed under the rug. And you see it like with, with uh, Melissa uh, and on national director, you see more involvement with that. Um, uh, I remember what the USPA, the board had always been as kind of, it was kind of like the same people for years and years and it wasn't evolving um, kind of with, with the, with the times. And then what you see now is first off, everybody should vote. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, it's, it was, it was, ter- I mean, yes, we just had an election. Um, I, I, I wish the percentage was higher on voting. Um especially when it's so easy, you can do it online, but your voice matters. And people are starting to realize that because they do start seeing some changes. And it's not just kind of the same thing that's, that's been pushed through for the last 40 years. And now we're starting to see those little incremental steps forward. And I'd like to see more of those. And that's probably the biggest thing other than uh, technology, better wings, uh, more better equipment, stuff like that. I, I think the sport will live and will live and thrive with, with, with a, with a broader base of appeal. Yeah. I mean, do you think, and this is, I agree with you. I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate because there's sure. a couple national directors who were just elected who flat out say that it's not the place of USPA 
to to actually put that into formal writing or, or to actually create those programs formally. But, but they have they have put it in formal writing in some ways. If you look at there's a transgender policy that's that's been written in to, to the to the skim. So there there is movement that is offering more exclusivity. So you it's not it's not it's not the point of USPA to to um, to maybe say that you have to do this. Every, I mean, it's free will. Everybody has their own choice. But it's also not it's also not the, the responsibility to hinder. So it, j- just because you can't dictate something doesn't mean you can't support it. It doesn't mean that you can't help break or help bring change. Uh, I, I totally agree. Yeah, it's just, I, I know that Melissa, for example, you know, she just brought up the, the Jedi program at the last, uh, yeah. the last uh, board meeting and, there was definitely a lot of debate and discussion about the ultimately her directive what wasn't approved. So that's why I kind of bring it up. You know, there's definitely a little bit of pushback from the community. Like, hey, it's not our place to really to, to tell people how, who to include, how, how to approach these topics. And, and again, I, it, it's what I said before, kind of how, how things happen. Some things ebb and flow faster than others, but it's a reflection of society. Unfortunately, what I think Skydive is a reflection of society in some ways that's that's time has passed and i'd love to see a little bit th- things catch up a little bit more not that things are perfect today but, but i mean when it when will it ever be perfect uh is it's i'm not i'm not trying to get touchy-feely peace love and all that <laughs> yeah. but maybe that's maybe that's what it is it's just it's just maybe just common respect that needs to be out there i mean and i i see a lot of it I just like to see more of it. <laughs> yeah, no, so. totally get that, man. Um, all right, and then kind of off that, like in terms of wingsuiting specifically, because I know that that's mm-hmm. also been a, a com- conversation that's happened multiple times in terms of mm-hmm. how the SIM specifically is written about it, how the IRM is written about it. W- would you like to see more in there, or do you think that it's it's still kind of ease off a little bit? To, to be honest, honest, I was I was one of the group of people of, of four of us that that actually wrote uh, what's 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 in the what's in the sim for for wingsuiting that that chapter. Um, I'm not a, a huge proponent of like a wingsuit rating uh, because I think it opens Pandora's box. It opens that to what a crew rating. Uh, you have to have a crew a crew coach rating, or you have to have have to have a crew license, or you have to have you have to have a, a Every every nuance all of a sudden now you have to have this 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 rating that, that the system just can't it won't handle it would it would kill the sport. One of the beautiful things about skydiving it's it's your choice. Nobody makes you jump out of an airplane. Once the doors open, you choose to make that jump. That's the beauty of skydiving. I don't want to lose that by by adding so much minutia that that controls everything. Guidelines, yes. I mean there has to be some, some guidance, but, but what I don't want to see is it go run down the rabbit hole of you have to do this. You need this rating. You need this, you need, you need this. And again, the BSRs, they're, they're, they're recommendations. They're not, they're not dictated um, mandates. I mean, there are drop zones out there that don't belong to USPA and guess what? People still jump out of airplanes. It's not like it's, it's the law. It, 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 it's, it's really good. It's great advice. It's good guidance. And I think it should be utilized, but there's a point where you lose what the sport is, the freedom of the sport, the beauty of the sport. Uh, 
the creativity of the sport by making it overly, overly regulated and, and, and dictated. So it yeah. doesn't mean that things can't be improved, but uh, speaking about specifically about wingsuiting, um, the USP doesn't recognize like a, co- a coach rating, for example, but how would they? Because it, it's, you're teaching something to experienced skydivers. I agree with the 200 jumps. I agree with the, the thresholds that you need to do it because the nuances are different. Um, but you still have to have your own choice to, to be able to do it. I, I wouldn't have made, I probably wouldn't have done a wing two jump at 200 jumps. I waited till I was close to 4,000 jumps before I did it. So apparently I'm a slow learner, <laughs> but, but that, I guess it's, that's one of the things that when I, when I, when I look at what USPA does, I think they do a fantastic job. And I think that they're a, a great conduit between uh, general skydivers, general aviation, the FAA, it's, it kind of helps us have our place. And, and they and they do really really strong strong things for the community, um, but the community survives because of the freedom that the that that what it is is jumping out of an airplane. So that's the that's the hardest balance I think you can find. Yeah, I totally understand that. I mean, especially I, I what I've heard about how other countries do it and yeah. how like. England is the one that I think is, is probably one of the, the, the strictest from what I've heard in terms of every single individual coming up has to be blessed off in, you know, certain levels, almost kind of like the way that we do in the tunnel. Um, every individual has to be blessed off by a jump master on the way in, et cetera. And I know a lot, a lot of people don't want to see that in, in USPA. Well, and I get that. But, and at the same time, I, I look at some of the things that, that like in England, when I've, when I've jumped there, they have, they generally have somebody, I think it's in in their in their rules that somebody has to be there to look at everybody getting on an airplane and, and checking yeah, yeah. their gear, doing things like that. It's not required here, but I think it's a really good idea. Uh, but it's a drop zone decision. I know some drop zones do it and some don't. I I, I don't think things like that are a bad thing if, if you can catch something because mistakes do happen. And we're self we're self-regulating. Um uh, and what I'd like people to think is just because somebody has thousands thousands of jumps doesn't mean that they can't make a mistake so somebody with 200 jumps i've seen it happen where they said oh that's not routed correctly to somebody with thousands of jumps i give a tremendous amount of credit to the person with 200 jumps that did that because it's like now they're saying something not to do anything other than try to be do to be a good steward for the sport and that's 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 where the sport will succeed and that's that's why it's gone as far as it's gone right now but yeah, things from other countries, some can be implemented, some can't, but d- didn't we talk a little bit about cultural differences, but really, yeah. and a lot of that stuff is where that comes into play. I mean, some of the, some of those regulations, if you really look closely at it, whether you're in Russia or whether you're in England, uh, depending on where you are, you start seeing some of those things are in effect in play on how they run their drop zone, how a drop zone is run. Totally, totally makes sense, man. All right. So let's start wrapping up. Um, all right. One super embarrassing story from you. <laughs> the look on your face is priceless right now. A super embarrassing story. 
I generally try to own all my stupidity. So, <laughs> um, it's, uh, uh, there's a multitude to choose from. I, it, it's, I'm actually kind of, I, one time I was in, in, a, in a big way and there was like two groups and just the way that we were sitting on the airplane somehow I went with the wrong group. <laughs> I docked. It was great. It was all good. Everybody's like saying, like, why, it, why it was, is Scott it was, on this jump with us? It was us? definitely a faux pas. It was definitely a faux pas. So, <laughs> yeah, there are probably other ones that are probably, that would probably make me blush a little bit more, but I'll, uh, I'll keep those quiet. So. <laughs> I mean, obviously being friends with me is one of those embarrassing stories. So we can always just give credit that one as well. Well, I was I was hoping it was like this would be like a like polishing a turd, but it, it it's not helping. So. <laughs> All right, man. Um, any closing remarks? Any any advice for like new, especially newer winksters? I know that you that is has been your passion. Like anything you yeah. want to throw out there for the for for the crowd? Uh, one thing I would say is that find your own path, find your happy. And uh, what I mean by that is is a lot of people race to get to two hundred jumps. Uh, they'll do, they'll go do, they'll go do 15 hop and pops to get to 200 so they could, they could go do it. You're selling yourself short. What makes somebody a good wingsuiter is the breadth of knowledge that you take into it. Uh, the more, the more you do, whether it's belly, whether it's free flying, the, the more experience you have, the more you can get out of it. Uh, I would say, enjoy, enjoy the journey that you have. And there's no reason to rush. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm about a thousand jumps and I still haven't gotten to the wing suiting thing. One of these days, man. One of these days. Well, you still, I mean, you're way behind me. You've got, you've got thousands of jumps still to go before. <laughs> if you want to. Makes, makes me feel better. Hey, look at that. See, I'm a giver. <laughs> All right. Well, Scott, thank you so much for sitting down with us here at the Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. Everybody's listening right now. Thank you so much for supporting us. Thank you for listening. Uh, stay tuned for more from us. And again, Scott, thank you very much. Everybody, no, thank you for a- having me. Hey, man, our pleasure. Have a great day, everybody. Everybody, blue skies. And there you go. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void in the Can brought to you, as always, by, that's right, NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah. Brought to you by Summit Parachute Systems. Head to summitparachutesystems.com. You can check out the badass pilot rigs that Jarrett Martin and the family are cranking out over there, as well as the incredible rigging courses that Jarrett gives. As for me, I am the fucking pilot. Head to thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com where you can find links to all the previous podcasts and both the books. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.